Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. So this show originally aired in 2013. And one of the realities of just doing a daily show is you don't remember that much over the years. I mean, you don't remember a particular day all that well. It's just because we do so many shows and they're all so different and one thing kind of drives out another. But I really kind of do remember how I felt having Peter Tork in my studio, having Peter Tork out in the hallway coming into my studio. I loved the monkeys. I understood all the ways in which the monkeys could be discredited by people who were eager to discredit them. But I thought they were a very talented group of entertainers. They were backed uh, by an incredibly impressive stable of songwriters. Um, And they were charming and funny. And Peter Tork being kind of a certain geeky, kind of not exactly cool guy, uh, was... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> was very resonant for me uh, as a teenager. So, um, yes, Peter Tork did die recently, and we are very sad about this. But we're also very happy to have this show that we can share with you. Here's our Peter Tork show from 2013. Hello, Mr. Tork. Uh, well, I just want to say that you were always my favorite monkey, for real. I mean, I could pass a polygraph on that. It wasn't Ken or Jimmy or little Andrew. He sucks. I, I don't think those are the it's just, real... It's a total thrill to have you here. I mean, the monkeys, right? Take the left plane to Dogtown. It's the thrill of... That's the... not even how it goes. Another pheasant in me someday. You don't even know how the song. Oh, Mr. Tork, I hope this isn't too forward or I'm being too aggressive, but can I... Get a hug? Look, I'm not Peter Tork. I work here, upstairs. You see me every day. I work in corporate digital directory management. Oh, Brad, right. It's Greg. I'm so embarrassed. We could still hug. I don't think so. I mean, you're not any kind of monkey, correct? Right. Then no hug, Todd. Greg. Damn it. Whatever. Today on the show, the real Peter Tork. And now he's wearing his monkey's flicker ring today. Actually, he wears it every day. Colin McEnroe. Well, in my case, it really is true. Uh, And I could pass a polygraph. Peter Tork is and was my favorite monkey. And I'm very excited to have him here today. He's my uh, favorite in lots of other ways, too. So before we get uh, too deep into the history of the monkeys, uh, let's hear a little bit uh, of what Peter Tork sounds like these days. This is... Uh, Peter Tork in the band Shoe Suede Blues. Yeah, so say you, that say that five times fast. That's that would be considered a spoonerism, right? Isn't that a spoonerism? Yeah, that's a spoonerism. Yeah. yeah. So Cinderfella, three sisters, uglers. So and if, once I learn how to say it, I think I won't be able to say it the other way anymore. But Peter Tork and Shoe Suede Blues. This is I know love. So do you. 
that's Peter Torkin, Shoe Suede Blues. You know, um, obviously a big part of your story is being a folk musician in Greenwich Village, but you also grew up probably with music that sounded a lot like this. What's the first rock and roll you remember? What you know? What really inflamed you for rock and roll? My first inflame. My first flame. Your first a, inflammation. My please. first. <laughs> <laughs> they have jokes for that now. Yeah, right. back, they have topical but, creams for it but, too. But, so. but, but back then, uh, as a matter of fact, it was the Elvis song "I Want You, I Need You, I Love You." I kind of listened to rock and roll up till then, but it was sort of sort of plain. You know, I grew up with classical music in my household, yeah. and uh, when you could tell what the next chord was in a given song without ever having heard the song before, you didn't feel harmonically challenged at all, you know? So uh, so along comes, I want you, I need you, I love you. I wish we could play a bit of it, but, uh, but we, you know. But the thing about it was harmonically very new, and there was something else about it, too, and I don't know what it was, but it got me. It got me good. The walls of Jericho did not come down as fast as the, my, my resistance to pop and rock did with this song. We should explain, first of all, that a lot of your story begins in Connecticut. Let's go back before Greenwich yeah. Village. You yeah. were... Is it okay to call you a faculty brat? Do they yep, call you that? Yep. Yeah, nobody, nobody actually says that to my face much. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, my father taught uh, economics at the University of Connecticut. It was his only teaching job, and it was his career for, I don't know how long, till he, you know, till he retired. And we lived in stores or near there, mm-hmm. Mansfield Center, stores like that, uh, from the time I was nine. Um, to, and, uh, and, in fact, one or another of the members of the family has lived there to the, continuously to the present day. Pretty much. I mean, my parents died. It took me a little while to take over the house, but I, w- I came back on that account. The uh, I know you went to Carlton College, but at some point you just decided, I'm going to show up with my guitar slash banjo in well, Greenwich Village. Oh, and... yeah. Actually, it was I flunked out for the second time, <laughs> and, and they, they said, no, don't even bother anymore. Mm. And I said, okay. And you know, my father said, what are you going to do? I said, go to New York to seek my fame and fortune. I didn't find it there. Mm-hmm. Well, um, But it came along later on, uh, such as it was. Um, and yeah, I, I, uh, I simply uh, uh, was beamed into uh, Greenwich Village at, at that very moment. Uh, uh, I had a little place to stay and played my little folky music until, until I was given to go west. Where did you play your little folky music? I mean, just at little clubs? In or Greenwich on? Village, yeah. <clears throat> there were uh, coffee houses galore. Yeah. The thing was just chock-a-block with uh, little f- basket-passing coffee houses. They charged a buck for a cup of coffee, which is cheap now, but at the time when coffee was like 20 cents or something, it was like, what? <laughs> well, that's how we make our money. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, so. um, and um, it wasn't any good either. <coughs> um, but uh, we, um, uh, I, you know, I passed the basket, or in my case, the back of my banjo was open, so I passed. I had a longer handle than the basket so I could get to the guys who were sneaking in the back trying to get away. Um, and, um, you know, I went from uh, club to club, finally getting a sort of a steady gig. I played a quarter of the hour from 7 at night until 4 in the morning. That was a schooling, <laughs> you know. And, uh, you know, grabbing a, a, a pizza and a stein between sets and coming back. And um, and just did that for two and a half years almost. I mm-hmm. just I did uh, also was an accompanist for a... A folk group called the Phoenix Singers. I was so I played, you know, professionally as an instrumentalist for a little while. The tone of your voice and the expression on your face suggests that at least in the rearview mirror, that that was a very happy time for you. You really were. Oh, the village days were fabulous. Yeah. It was uh, I, from the moment I landed. You know, it was like ha ha, exhale, <sighs> yeah, like that. And, yeah, <laughs> and it was wonderful. I mean, 
I treasure those those years. I mean, I treasure them almost every year of my life. Actually, I'm very lucky that way. I've just had a very lucky life. You rattled through some names there. One of them was Stephen Stills, and it's pretty well known that you and Stephen Stills were friends, and that you encouraged him also to audition for the Monkees, right? No, 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 no. I got it wrong. No, not quite. Uh, Stephen and I were the kids who knew each other on Greenwich Village streets. I actually said, "Friends of my kids, there's a new kid on the block. He looks just like you." And about two (laughs) days later. I, I met him, and I knew who he was instantly. I said, you're the kid that looks like me. He said, you're the kid I'm supposed to look like. We shook hands and <laughs> laughed. And, um, and, and yeah, and we've been friends ever since uh, to varying degrees of, uh, you know, intimacy and time spent. But um, uh, as, as it happened, Steve met. Uh, he, told, he called me on the phone one time <laughs> later on and said, um, I, w- I just met a, a guy socially at a party who is making a TV show about Hard Day's Night, essentially, mm-hmm. and you ought to try out. I said, well, what about you? <laughs> he said, they deemed my hair and teeth to be not telegenic, and they asked me, did I know anybody who looked like me, and who incidentally <laughs> might have had one-tenth my talent, and I thought of you, Peter. So, And, uh, and so I actually, and he had to call me again. I said, yeah, yeah, I hung up. And he, I called, and he called again. And um, I uh, so I actually went down to uh, uh, went up for the inter. It, well, it, the, <laughs> you've heard about the famous ad, right? There was an ad in the local trades, wanted four insane lads, seventeen to twenty-two or something. I was already older than that, but never mind. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ben Frank's types. It said referring to a local hangout that everybody was of a certain. Then it said must come down for interview. Mm. Sly. <laughs> yes. <sir>. <laughs> <laughs> That's a 60s joke. That's a 60s. Well, I don't think anybody's going to miss it now. Anyway, so that was the kind of, if you don't mind the expression, head that they brought to the uh, to the table, the producers. Uh, if there's one reason why I think the monkeys were successful at what they did and why we have as a, I don't know, a, a pop act, uh, why we have had anything like the long-term success we've had, it was because those producers were fans, Mm-hmm. Of the Beatles, you know, it's awfully easy to sit up in an office someplace and say, "Hey, this is what the kids are jo- enjoying. We can make we can make something they'll like." That wasn't it. They liked it. Yeah. They wanted to be part of it. They knew, and they were smart guys. And so, um, you know, they said, you know, and we they caught lightning in a bottle. I mean, I I look at those guys, and I don't know, you know, I don't count myself an amazingly talented guy, you know, moderately talented. And that's, I mean, I think I am the. The, the least funny, the least talented, and the least uh, of um, be, and not and the least the worst actor of the four of us. I don't know. I, First of you one, are my favorite only, monkey. I so know. Back but, off. So, well, one thing. Yeah, stop. <laughs> stop cursing out my favorite monkey. <laughs> the one thing that I have was that character I brought in, mm-hmm. which was you know really culled from some place within me. And the only other thing that I actually can lay claim to is that I was the best trained musician of the group, having gone to school and all that stuff. But those guys are amazingly talented and funny, you know. So just to hang out with those guys is something. I'll tell you. Why don't we play this? This is one of your favorite monkeys songs, uh, and it's actually oh, a- one, okay. acapella. Yeah, great. And um, it's the only acapella thing we ever did. It's the only thing where it's all four of us working equally on the same, on the thing. And one other thing about this is that we recorded this live on a TV stage. We didn't go into a regular recording studio, and you don't record live on TV stages because TV stages cost many, many times more per hour than than uh, audio does. But we just knocked this off in two passes, and this is it. It's a Spanish 
old a, Spanish song. It's a Christmas song, basically. Yeah, right? I think so. I yeah. don't know. It's about I don't know, something about a wolf. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's hear a little Ryuchu. El lobo rabioso la quiso morder, mas días poderoso la supo defender. Quiso le hacer que no pudiese pecar, y an original es tu virgen no tuviera. Riu, riu, shiu, la guada rivera. Dios cuadro, Dios cuadro, el lobo de nuestra codera. Dios cuadro, Dios cuadro, el lobo de nuestra codera. Esta que es nacido es el gran monarca, Cristo patriarca de carne vestido, ya nos redimido con cerrarse chiquito, aunque infinito, finito se hiciera. Riu, riu, shiu, la guada rivera. Dios cuando el lobo de nuestra cordera. Dios cuando el lobo de nuestra cordera. Okay, the monkeys, but not exactly how you remember the monkeys. But now, explain, explain why you like that song, and you really do like that song. Yeah, I do. I think it's fabulous. It's a, it's a, uh, all of the things about it. The the fact that it was not re- it was recorded just we okay. We're gonna we're doing the Christmas song. Let's have a little something that with three, and we shot it. You know, shot it to live to camera. So hmm. well, you never do that. You just don't do that because if you make a mistake, you have to go back and video time is so much more expensive than audio time, and uh, no no instruments. Acapella, blend of voices, the only time the four of us ever sang together. Hmm. All of us at and once. And it's a nice blend. You blend really nicely. Uh, we were amazed at that, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, I, was, I was impressed with that. I, it made me think of the... I, I, was, I heard somewhere that... Uh, I think it was the song Because, when the Beatles re- recorded Because, they went out on a bench just uh, outside and sat there for about four hours working, just singing the, har- the three harmonies together. And Ringo sat with them in solidarity. I mean, he'd sing it all, but just until they got that harmony. And boy, your voices, it, it, they really do blend really, really beautifully yeah. in, in a very natural way. Yeah, it's one of those things. Just one of the, you catch some, one of those one and a th- nothing else we ever did was like that. And we didn't pursue this and say, hey, maybe we've got something here. Let's go into classical music or something. <laughs> 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 We're talking to Peter Tork. Uh, I want to talk a little bit more about Monkey's history. One of the things that I've read was that at a certain point, you guys started to push back a little bit against the management, that there was sort of a, a plan for you and a way that you were going to be handled and a way that your music was going to be handled and who was going to produce it. Did, at a certain point, did you kind of, kind of did you bind together a little bit and say, well, wait a second, we're the monkeys. We'll decide some of these things. Kind of. The area that we were uh, concerned with was the music, mm-hmm. uh, mostly because we caught such flack mm-hmm. uh, for, the, for, for uh, the fact that the records were produced largely without us. Yeah. Always one of us on lead vocal, vocal but uh, on the first two albums, all but a couple of cuts of mics on each album were produced in the studio someplace else, and mm-hmm. we were brought in to sing lead over the, usually Mickey, of course, and secondarily um, Davey, um, the, the late great Davy. I didn't get it, you know. Mm. Um, I get it now. Mm. It makes all kinds of sense to me now. You know, we worked from 7.30 in the morning until 7 at night making a t- every day making mm. a TV show. 
Um, and there wasn't time for us to sit in the studio and crank out an album, which you know it took me a while to catch on to that because <laughs> I didn't know how albums were made in those days. So it made all kinds of sense. And yet when all the flack hit, you know, the monkeys don't play the Romans, they're fake. Incidentally, this part's a lot of fun. In Hollywood where everybody was saying, oh, the monkeys are fake musicians, mm-hmm. I don't mind the TV show. That's not bad. But the music, these guys are all fake. They don't mm-hmm. deserve it turns out years later I found out that all the kids in the off-Broadway theaters in New York mm. were saying those four kids can't act their way out of a paper bag. They don't deserve <laughs> the TV show. The music isn't bad, but the theater, the, the acting is awful. So, you know, it just depends on who, whose territory you th- they think you're, you're stepping on. So, but we got a lot of flack, and I bought into it, too. We weren't the Beatles. That was, you know, that was, that was dishonorable. Everybody had to be the Beatles. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had a lot of feeling for it. Michael had a lot of feeling for it. Mickey and Davey, who basically came up as actors, and you know, actors, they just that's how they do it for actors. We make an album, you sing. Mm-hmm. But we did fight. We fought, got, uh, fought and, and won the right to make our own music. And the third album, Headquarters, is us mm-hmm. on instruments, us picking the songs, in fact, writing them ad hoc. At one point, Mickey and, uh, my, uh, and Mike just dashed aside and wrote some verses for a, a kind of a Johnny B. Good type chart and came back and, and uh, we sang that. That was a lot of fun. Instant stuff, you know. It's, uh, you know, the the TV show was really funny, too. Uh, I mean, John Lennon famously said you were the uh, funniest comedic group since the Marx Brothers. Um, yeah. It was a, it was a, it, it's a funny show. I think it holds up pretty well. I watched a few clips on, on YouTube. You? Everything yeah. has survived. Yeah. It, it holds up. I mean, and and I, did you think of yourself as a comedian going to this, as a funny person? When you were in Greenwich Village working the crowd, I assume part of that was being kind of comically Oh, engaged. yeah, jokes were the issue. Yeah, yeah. You, had, you had to come up with the jokes. Uh, and uh, sure, um, uh, you know, being funny was very much part of it. I, I, I just saw my own... Uh, what they called a personality interview the other day. Just they set me up in front of a camera and started talking to me. Nothing scripted, uh, and I was having a hard time keeping from grinning stupidly. And the guy said, "What about what, what's wrong with your mouth?" I said, "Yeah, I, I've been meaning to five hundred dollars for the nose and the mouth." That just came out of my mouth like that, you know, this kind of thing. And it was all about jokes and uh, and that kind of thing. So sure, being a and we worked at it. We learned. Improv comedy from uh, our, our director, James Frawley, who'd worked in Second City, was a comic in Second City. And so you developed this character, and uh, the, obviously you're, you were all there under your own first names, but, and this character was, I don't know, how would you describe it? He was kind of the naive. Yeah, simple. S- simple. <laughs> the simpleton. Well, not in, in the sense, simpleton has connotations. You were of easily risk. victimized. Easily victimized, uh, not very uh, socially aware, not terribly alert. Kind of uh, involved in you know whatever it was, uh, good bass player but not a very smart guy. <laughs> Although I have this whole theory about comic ensembles that first of all, comic ensembles do have to have some kind of balance. You know, whether you're watching a show like Taxi or the Mary Tyler Moore Show, of course, or reading a comic strip that has yeah, a bunch all of all the good and, ensemble yeah. shows have a, a, a range, a right. wide range. And you have to have one person who's kind of connected to a slightly different reality. And I always yeah. thought you were sort of that person too. Uh, yeah, yeah, I am. Yeah. yeah, Ringo was the guy who took that job in the Beatles. Sort of, I mean, uh, Hard Day's Night, it was, which incidentally, apparently, was written by a guy who followed them around and just wrote down their jokes in large <laughs> measure. You know, um, and uh, I have a Ringo joke, a Ringo story. Ringo did a commercial with the monkeys. Do you, I don't know if you know this. I do know this, actually, but only because of my extensive preparation for this moment. <laughs> <laughs> if I hadn't worked so hard, I yeah. wouldn't know this. Um, and one shot. Ringo's sitting at the drums, and the three monkeys, not Mike, but the other three, come in. 
And we're supposed to say, hey, you know, great pizza. And we're sitting there waiting for the shot to happen. Ringo says something droll. And I said, Ringo, we're, we're the comedians. You're just a musician. We'll, we'll, do the, we'll do the funny stuff. Ringo said, I've been funny. People have laughed at me jokes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to take a quick break here. Do we, oh, do we have break music? We have, do we have the music for the break? Can we play that? All right, we have to take a little music, break here. Music we, for the break. We have music for the break, and we'll come back with more of Peter Tork. We'll be back. If you're just tuning in, we're re-airing an interview that I did with former monkey Peter Tork, who recently died. Uh, it's a fun interview, one of the best days uh, of my interviewing life. I hope you enjoy it, too. We're back with Peter Tork. You know him from the monkeys. Let's hear some um, uh, up-to-date of Peter Tork. This is a song called Uromolecular Structure, which I associate, associate with Mose Allison. Did he write it? Yeah, he wrote this. Yeah. yeah, but we just cut it. Right. It's our new. We have a new CD out called Step by Step, and you can get it on CD Baby. And um, and and uh, you can download songs for a pittance on uh, my website. Awesome, Peter, well, PeterTorque.com. Yeah. So get your pittance yep. out. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, several pittance. Several pittance. Uh, right. I don't know. I only have one pittance. <laughs> let's let's is pittance the singular of pittance? All right. Let's um, let's hear. Your, like let's hear a little of your molecular structure. Molecular structure is really something fine. A first-rate example of functional design. Those cosmic undulations are steady coming through. Your molecular structure, baby, me and you. Your cellular organization is really something choice. Electromagnetism, to make me lose my voice. Got all my circuits open, my systems we go. Your cellular organization, baby, stop the show. structure is really something swell a high frequency modulated Jezebel thermodynamic you're getting to me your molecular structure baby ooh he It's Peter Tork, your molecular structure. That's and, great. And shoe suede blues. And and shoe suede blues. Is that yeah. you on the guitar? 
No, no, no. I, <laughs> that's our guy Joe Boyle, who is uh, who's a freak of nature. I, I think he spent time learning all of the notes on the harmonics so that he could play in any key. I mean, it's one thing to just play a little up and down the harmonics, but mm. he can play melody. He knows where all the notes are, like, like you know, you had, like learning a steel drum. You know how those are. The A is over here, and B is mm. on the other side of the drum. It's like I don't know how they do it, but he. Anyway, he's he's amazing. It's a great guitar solo. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, let's grab a call, Deborah in Hampton. Hi, Deborah. Hi, I wanted to ask Peter about uh, the Greenwich Village connection. I remember reading that quite a few musicians made their way out to L.A. at that time: John Sebastian, Stephen Stills, Mons and Papas. And I'm wondering if he maintained relationships with them once they all moved out there, and if he's still in touch with any of them. Uh, thank you, Deborah, for your question. Um, I, yeah, I did know those people on the East Coast. I met uh, Cass Elliott and Danny Doherty and Zelyanovsky uh, in D.C., um, my, one of my first forays out of town, and all those other guys. And yes, of course, I stuck. Uh, I, I kept uh, kept aware of those guys uh, when they moved west, except I don't think John Sebastian did. He was, uh, I think, Love and Spoonful remained an East Coast band. But of course, the Mamas and the Papas, I used to go up to Cass's uh, uh, during my lunch hour or while I was shooting the show, I just go, okay, I'm going to go say hi to Cass. And up I went. Uh, I dated Cass's sister for a year for a while. She's still a very good friend of mine. Uh, and, um, and, and, of course, Steve, uh, um, I like to say Steve introduced me to the monkeys and uh, his, uh, his, you know, he got a consolation prize of CSNY. He's never forgiven me. Uh, for usurping his, <laughs> I saw his show the other day, not too long ago, down here at the uh, Foxwoods. It was he was very good. I was I was impressed, and and uh, at one point he hit a high note and said, "I'm as astonished as you are." <laughs> and, uh, it's and funny yes. how that works too. Some people are just, you know, I mean, as they age, irrespective of how good they've taken care of themselves or not. They, they're just really, really lucky. I mean, Sir Paul appears not to have lost. And, I mean, he's singing in the same keys and octaves, I think, that he recorded a lot of that Pretty stuff Pretty much, in. yeah. He's very you know, good. And then yeah. other people, it's they, they lose an octave even yeah. though they've been drinking hot tea and lemon yeah, juice and Mac- the whole time. And McCartney refused to warm up his voice, too, of, yeah. of a given day. It was actually Mickey who, who said, Paul, you know, I, I'm really finding it's my work is much better if I actually do like a warm-up exercise. So Paul... It took to leading his band in a rousing course of Hey, Hey, We're the Monkeys in order to warm up his voice. And now he warms up his voice singing Hey, Hey, We're the Monkeys. <laughs> hey, you know, you, I don't think that anybody who didn't go through what you went through could possibly imagine what it was like to be sort of thrust out into the public eye at that level with that amount of adulation, that amount of attention, uh, and, a, you know, just a, a world in which doors just swung wide open for you. I mean, people, people were very excited about the monkeys. And, you know, a lot of the people that we're going to talk about today are, are among the departed, some of them from natural causes, but some not from natural causes. And you, you know, you worked with the incredibly talented Lowell George. You, you oh, know, yes. You had, Jimmy, Dear Lowell. you had Jimi Hendrix open for the monkeys uh-huh. at one point. Uh, we can get back into those stories, too. But, you know, did you at a certain point, besides the fact that you're about to strangle yourself with your headphone cord right now, um... <laughs> I'm asking him questions about survival, and he's, he's having listening. like an emergency. Well, did did you at a certain point say to yourself, you know, I 
somehow or other, I have to not lose myself. Somehow or other, I have to no, no, survive I was, this. I, no, I wanted to lose myself. <laughs> it was all about bye-bye. I didn't like the guy I was. I, the whole thing about, oh, God, Colin, do you want to talk about fame and, and, and uh, uh, why fame and charisma and, and why those things? Because I've been thinking about this stuff for a long time, and we can get it'll get kind of serious if we do. Um, the long and the short of it is that I don't believe anybody gets to be famous without needing the adulation as a substitute for reasonable affection and love in the in the uh, you know early life and of course you need you need a certain amount of support anyway you need parents who are uh, who provide healthy physically healthy and 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 aren't there for you at some or at least you perceive them to be i have to say i don't know whether my parents were emotionally neglectful i know that i felt neglected mm-hmm. uh, it may not be on them at all it may just be a you know a, a quirk of nature i'm discovering that i'm not built like a lot of other people in a lot of ways but be that as it may the sense of being isolated leads me to think that if i can only get the millions to love me then it'll be all right you mm-hmm. know and and of course no amount of times that i tell you how or how many how i go about telling you what it was like would prepare you to walk out and suddenly be in the middle of that right but uh, in fact, the rest of it is, I mean, it's all human anyway. You know, nothing human is denied anybody human, basically. I, I really believe this very strongly. Um, but uh, I was thinking about Michael Jackson. I was given to, I was asked actually asked to write something about Michael Jackson. Um, and I wondered for a while whether there wasn't, I thought, why isn't there a school for celebrity and for fame? <laughs> but, of course, one of the things about being uh Working towards being famous and, you know, devour, losing yourself in your guitar. Elvis sang and he was listening to radio stations at night all by himself. And mm. one of the things about losing yourself that way is because you don't, you finally come to believe you can't trust anybody. Mm. And your experience is that anybody who wants to help you wants you to help them more than they want to help you. They'll help you to help them, but that's, the lim- that's as far as it'll go. If you can strike a decent bargain, you count yourself lucky. But so you... There is no help. There is no help. Nobody can say, listen, kid, here's what you need to know in order to go out there. You know, because, you know, what do you want is the, is the proper response. So, um, th- no, there's no, there's no way of telling anybody what it's going to be like. And I'm going to grab a call here. I want to come back to this for a second, though, because I, I think there's sort of a, a few more things that, that need to be said about that. But here's Mary in Hamden. Hi, Mary. Hi, Mary. Hi. You're talking to Peter Tork. And Colin. Hi, Peter. Hi, Colin. Oh, my God. I can't believe I'm talking to the great Peter Tork. Uh, you're not. This is uh, this is the lesser Peter Tork. The great Peter Tork is out in the parking lot doing great things. So. Okay, well, as soon as he comes in, tell him I gave him that message. But I'm um, so glad to, hear, to talk to you. <laughs> it's a pleasure. Thank you for, for calling. What can I do for you? I just wanted to thank you and the Monkees for just being such a great group. Uh, you were my first purchase on TV. Uh, <laughs> I thought you were going to say, I thought you were going to say your first purchase of cereal. <laughs> That's what no. I Monkeys were on every night. I watched you guys religiously. You were my favorite TV show group. And I remember after the show ended, they showed your, you know, to order the monkeys on, you know, tape. And I remember it was COD at the time, charged on delivery. And I saved up all my allowance and waited for that tape to come in through the mail. You know, there's the mailman, and I gave him all my allowance money. And I remember oh, how great it felt to get that tape. And I must have, I, it melted. That tape melted. Gee, well, thank you. Uh, uh, thank you for thanking me, I guess. I appreciate very much that. I have actually been really heartened 
to have people come up and say, you know, there was this one break in my life when life was okay. It was a half an hour a week on Monday nights or, or like Mary was saying, you know, I guess the after school slot, half an hour a day, uh, that kind of thing. It, that's That really turns out to be one of the great rewards of this. And um, so I have some thoughts on that too, which might relate to whatever else is on your mind, Colin. So, what are your thoughts? Well, I was thinking about the issue of the um, – what the what, you know that I, I say McLuhan-esque. It turns out that not exactly right. But one of the the message of the monkeys, which nobody ever picks up on. I'm the only person in the world who picks up on this, and everybody I tell it to forgets it instantly. There's some kind of conspiracy. The monkeys was the only situation comedy in its day, and for decades afterwards, featuring young adults with no senior adult on the scene. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was radical at the time. Up till then, it was my three stupid sons. You know, father knows best, you dolt, and Ozzie and Harriet, and they're, you know, just blundering around. And what happened was this was right during Vietnam. Mm-hmm. The administrations, the successive administrations in this country were prosecuting a war that was not popular at best and, you know, virulently opposed at worst. And everybody, everybody in my circle, all of the kids, all of the people I know, knew that the authority had gone away. There was nobody you could trust upstairs from you. There was nobody, nobody senior to you that had your best interests at heart. Nixon, Johnson, those people, maybe Kennedy too. I, I, I'm not going to go there. But generally speaking, the prosecution of the Vietnam War, nobody was interested in the welfare of the people in this country. They were interested in their own egos and their own political careers. And that's all. And we knew that. Well, the monkeys didn't have an authority figure, and we got along fine and happily and unbegrudgingly and not bitterly without one. And that made for a, a reality, a, a, I mean, not a reality, but a, a, a paradigm, a life situation that was tremendously relieving. Brothers and sisters could take care of ourselves. And that's a, an incredibly good message, and I think one that's important today. I think another thing that was, uh, I mean, perhaps less, uh, uh, this is a less profound insight than the one you just made, but but I think mm. it was also a show about aspiration in a way that shows at the time were not. This wasn't about this fabulously successful rock band. It was about right. four guys who wanted struggling. to be, yeah, struggling. wanted to be a fabulous. Yeah. I mean, since then, there have been things like the Flight of, Flight of the Concords and things like that have come along that kind of uh, use that same idea. But I don't think anybody's seen anything like that either, though no. this kind of whole idea that, you know, we <laughs> wish we were something that we're not. Yeah, they knew, the producers knew that there was no chance for a TV show if we were popular. Although at one point, in one episode, we start drawing huge crowds. It was this, the episode called The Devil and Peter Tork, where the devil gives the Peter Tork character the, the power to play the harp. Yeah. And uh, suddenly, you know, fans, it's, it's, and that goes away as soon as the devil comes to collect his contract. <laughs> All right, we have to take a little break here. Uh, we've got uh, people tweeting in questions and stuff, too. We've got a lot of ground to cover. The show's almost over. What? I feel like I'm in that oh episode. Goodness. I have to ask the devil for another hour with Peter Tork. All right, we'll be back. Your molecular structure is really something fine. A first-rate example of functional design. Those cosmic undulations are steady coming through. Your molecular structure, baby. Me and you. Your cellular organization is really something. 
constant choice Electromagnetism fine to make me lose my voice Got all my circuits open, my systems we go Your cellular organization, baby Stop the show All right, we've got just a little bit of time left uh, in this interview with Peter Tork, the former monkey who recently passed from this earth, uh, but whose music continues to delight us. One of the things that you missed on the radio is the expression on Peter Tork's face when he saw Colin's monkey's lunchbox. It was a mixture of fear and fascination. Today's show was produced by Betsy Kaplan, Patrick Scahill, and me, Kyone Wolf, with help from our interns Rusty Fisher and Brianna Gross. Voiceover help by web guru Greg Hill. The part of Bill Curry was played by Lon Chaney Jr. And now, back to Colin. Yes, Lon Chaney Jr. actually did appear on a Monkeys episode. Uh, and yes, he did. Yeah. Uh, so Peter Torg is with us. This is horrible. We're, we just have almost no time left, and I'm, I feel like we are just getting warmed up here. Yeah, it feels like there's lots left to talk I mean, There's a lot of things we want to talk about. <coughs> the other night, I'm sitting, well, it wasn't the other night. It was a little while ago. Uh, I'm watching um, uh, Breaking Bad. And this, there's this kind of montage. They're cooking meth uh, and this, and doing all this kind of frantic stuff. And this song comes on, and I, I just had this kind of moment of dislocation because I, I was listening to this, and I turned to my significant other, and I said, "I know this song, but I don't know what I don't know what it is. I, I mean, I could almost sing this song, but so I don't you, know what it is." Did you put the Shazam on it? Did you? <laughs> no, I mean, I just I thought and thought and thought about it. It finally came to me what it was. We're gonna play a little. It's called Going Down. And it's a bit of it's, it. It was an off the top of a cuff. We actually was started with a jam. I was on bass, and we had uh, this other guy playing drums, and everybody else, and and we jammed. And then we gave it to the the music building, and they sent somebody in to write lyrics for it. And then they gave it back to us. And Mickey started singing, "Going down the river." To, they said, "No, Mickey, twice as fast." He said, "What are you telling me?" And he did twice as fast, and that is going down. Let's hear going down. <laughs> In the river with a saturated liver And I wish I could forgive her But I do believe she meant it When she told me to forget it And I bet you will forget it When you find me in the morning Wet and drown And the world gets round I'm going down I'm going down I'm coming up for air It's pretty stuff under there I'd like to say I didn't care But I forgot to leave a note And it's a hot to stay afloat I'm soaking wet without a boat And I knew I should have taken off my shoes It's front page news Going down The thing about it is, and this is true of a lot of monkey songs, but initially I thought maybe this is a song that I've heard recently because it doesn't really sound fixed to any particular time period. I mean, this song could have been released in the last couple of years by some alt-blues group or something like that. Mm-hmm. It would have made total sense. I'm glad you think so. Uh, yeah, we've always... it was it, This one, Ryushi, that we played early, these are, these are sort of the miracle cuts that we got away with. Uh, something like... Uh, uh, we, when we put out that third album, there were two little cuts that uh, just from goofing off in the studio... Uh, I like to call them miracle cuts, just off the off the wall stuff. That's what makes it fun, and one of the reasons why we wanted to be the guys making the albums, so that if this stuff ever happened because of who we were goofing, that we could capture that and and uh, show it to the folks. I mean, it really the the one of the things that you benefited from, even though you perhaps took some criticism from it initially, is. Uh, first of all, this pulled upon the work of a lot of really terrific songwriters early on. Oh, so sure. Yeah, the, we had the, oh, the best, you know, yeah. uh, because because I don't have any much to do with it. I can say 
without uh, false pride that the Monkey Songbook is one of the better songbooks of all time. So, I mean, a lot of these, it was Man and Wild, it was Boyce and Hart, it was Carol, Carol King. Carol King. Uh, Neil Diamond. Neil um, Diamond. Neil Sedaka wrote a couple. Uh, uh, Goff did, um, the other the other John Stewart wrote Daydream Believer. No, uh, yeah, right. Not, not that, well, John with an H. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the first replacement member of the Kingston Trio, That's correct, right? yeah, yeah, like that, and we got, you know, really, we got, we got the advantage of the best songwriters in really in America, some of the very best, anyway. And I think another tribute to that is that in, increasingly jazz singers are covering monkey songs. Cassandra, Cassandra Wilson, Wilson, yeah, wow, that last train to Clarksville. <laughs> but uh, Kurt Elling just cut Pleasant Valley Sunday and has done it as Did he? this very extreme bop kind of version of it too. I mean, I'd it, love to hear that. It's uh, on the most recent recent release. Um, his most recent release, it's it's terrific. And once again, jazz singers, they don't do songs that aren't good songs because they, they won't. Yeah. Why would they bother? Yeah, you right. Know? Yeah, right. There's so much to do. You know, we were talking before, you know, a little bit about sort of the psychic deficits that maybe make somebody want to be famous or willing to yep. put up with being famous. Ultimately, though, at some point, you were not a happy monkey. Well, because of the, 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 the stuff we got about not being our own uh, – not getting to play our own music. And the fact that we got to play this one album together mm. was a high point in my life. And I said, okay, let's go do it again, you know, and everybody kind of looked blankly at me and cross-eyed, and I went, what do you, well, come on, we get, come on, this was, this, was the, this was it, this was the big it, and everybody, well, Michael wants to do his own thing. Davey was banging a tambourine. He knew his part from take one, and we're, I'm 56, and he's still banging <laughs> a tambourine. I can't do this, can't do this anymore, Peter. Mm. And uh, Mickey just, I don't know what happened to Mickey, but he refused to go on with it. So so I quit. Yeah. So I went away thinking uh, what I want to do is play music, that, you know, get be in a band, have a band, which I have one. Was I, it also yeah. just kind of exhausting, though? Well, it was tiring, sure. Yeah. I mean, the, you know, of course, that no matter who you are, if you've got agents and uh, business managers, they don't want you to quit working. They have no interest in you taking a vacation. <laughs> if you've got a manager who's interested in your long-term career, he'll say take a vacation when right. you need one. But the overwhelming majority of people, when their money is dependent on your working, are not interested in you stopping. You're a rented mule. Yep. All right, let's uh, talk to Lori in Waterbury. Hi, Lori. Hi, Colin. Hi, Lori. Hi, Peter. What's right. going on? Get it off your chest, Lori. I really wanted to just say that, like you, Colin, Peter Torque was my favorite monkey, and I remember watching Saturday morning the monkey show with my sisters, and when they would run across and bury in the sand, and me and my friends, everybody loved Davy Jones, of course. I do. And, I, I did, too. Yes, everybody loves him, sadly, his passing. And But my Tiger Beat magazine picture that was on my wall was a view. Ah, joy. You can tell how old people are by whether they saw us uh, like every night or mm -hmm. Saturdays or Mondays. It's uh, in reverse order of age. Thank you for your call. Yeah, thanks, Lori. Thanks hey. for that call. Do you have, is it like a Rorschach blot? Like if Peter Tork is your favorite monkey, does that mean something it, about it, you? It probably does, but I haven't got the slightest. Yeah, that would be a hard thing for you to achieve. It would be. Uh, any perspective about Yeah. Let me grab at least one more call here, and we've got a bunch of calls coming in here. This is uh, Allison in Greenwich. These calls are, I think they fall into a pattern, but uh, we'll, we'll play it out a little bit here. Hi, Allison. Hi, Colin. Hi, Peter. Hi, Allison. This is a pattern. Uh, this is uh, just like the previous caller. I, I second that emotion. Loved you. I loved you all, but I had your picture on my wall, and I used to hope every day I'd grow up and marry you. Oh, well, <laughs> it, it's, I'm not I, married yet. Oh, well, I really do want to say I'm um, calling. Although my fiance, my, I'm sorry. Yeah. And uh, also, Peter, I, there was something about you and all of you guys 
there was a kindness and a lightheartedness and a joy about your program that stood out for me as a, as a you know, young teen and a child growing up. And it meant a great deal to me. And I, I have to say, you know, I cried when Davy Jones died, as many of us did. I'm sorry, I'm getting teary. But I really, really just want to thank you because it brought us tremendous pleasure, myself and all my friends. And I want to thank you, and I just wish you all the best, and God bless. Allison, you thank make you, a, Allison. she makes a great point. There was something about the monkeys where, I mean, rock and roll was starting to get a little bit more edgy and dangerous. Not you know? us. Yeah, but Not that, the monkeys. But that was nice. <laughs> I was a kid. I, you know, you didn't, you knew nobody was really going to get hurt. Yep. You know, yeah, yeah. Well, there was, you know, right. There's, you know, it was, it was a, a tremendous fantasy, uh, and um, uh, and it was, uh, uh, it was, it was, you know, it's, I, I was going to make a joke. I didn't want to diminish Allison's sentiment, but uh, the, you know, if, if you got right, the writers were told, you know, write that stuff, write these guys. We don't want these guys having fights or, or, you know, this is not about, you know, psychodrama. This is uh, a situation comedy of the four of them against the world or, or, you know, in the world. OK, I have like one embarrassing thing I have to admit, which is that for a long time, like way too long a time, I tried to. You guys used to wear these knit hats and they were kind of like on the back of your head rather than on top of your head. I used to try to wear hats like that or wear a knit hat like that. Uh, I mean, well into my 40s and 50s. And are, you, just, uh, are you aware that you've just ruined your entire career? You know, I bet my <laughs> career has been ruined for so long. Thanks very much for listening. We'll be back tomorrow. And I'll 
his face again Because you're an Keeps on on the Lifting me high.